0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's expert session. I'm really super excited to have my guest today who happens to be a close personal friend, colleague, actually practices just down the road from me in Costa Mesa, Dr. Kelly McCann. Dr. McCann is truly one of the brightest doctors I know and has specific expertise in Lyme and mast cell activation and a lot of the kind of things that we've talked about in our webinars and masterclass. So for those of you in the membership, I appreciate you joining us and being able to have a talk with Dr. McCann. So Dr. McCann, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Dr. Ingalls. Always a pleasure to hang out with you and chat about all things medicine.
0: <laughs> you and I, we, we, I think we have very similar practices in so many ways. We see a, a similar patient population, I think. And I just want to talk a little bit about mast cells, mast cell activation, because it's such an important underlying trigger for so many of our patients. And maybe we just start with the basics. Now, can you just talk a little bit about what are mast cells and why are they important?
1: Absolutely. Love to. Mast cells are a normal part of our immune system. They are actually related to our red blood cells and our white blood cells. So they're born in our bone marrow, just like those other cells are. And they move to the periphery. And by that, the areas where our body meets the outside world. And so they line our respiratory tract and our sinuses, our mouth, our gastrointestinal tract, all the way down. They are in the skin, the blood vessels. They hang out around the nerves. In fact, they're everywhere in the body except the retina. So they're clearly really important. And their job is to fight foreign invaders, is to constantly surveil for foreign invaders. And when they see them or perceive them, they will dump what we call mediators these are chemicals histamine is probably one of the most famous ones but different cytokines and inflammatory molecules um, they can dump things like um, enzymes tryptase chymase elastin and their goal in dumping all of these mediators is to cause an inflammatory response which is how the body fights for invaders. so that's the basics of mast cells And then if we want to talk about what is mast cell activation syndrome, that's that's
0: the the next step. (laughs) Right,
1: exactly. So that's when those mast cells decide that more things than just foreign invaders are a problem. And so they can get mistaken signals where they start to perceive just about anything and everything as a threat. So sometimes when patients have Lyme or they have mold, their mast cells get triggered hypersensitive and they start dumping all these inflammatory mediators and patients start experiencing all different sorts of symptoms.
0: Let's go through some of the symptoms. How would somebody necessarily know if they have mast cell activation? What kind of symptoms would they experience? That would be a red flag that, Hey, we need to investigate this a little further.
1: It's a really good question. And it's not just one or two specific symptoms. It's really a combination of symptoms that I'm looking for. So for example, I already told you that there are mast cells everywhere. And so if you have multiple symptoms and multiple systems, that may be a clue. What does that look like? You could have fatigue. You could have muscle aches. You could have joint pain. You could have Hair loss. You can have headaches. You can have gastrointestinal symptoms. Um, anything from burning mouth to diarrhea, abdominal pain, bloating, etc. You can have bladder issues. You can have heart palpitations. You can have cognitive issues, brain fog, anxiety, depression are really common in muscle patients. And so, basically, any system in the body is fair game to get involved. And so usually what I'm looking for is those kind of allergic, inflammatory, or even more kind of growth because of these enzymes that can can change things. I'm looking for those sorts of symptoms and those sorts of patterns. If people have a lot of allergies or sensitivities, that might heighten my suspicion. Um, If they have a lot of drug reactions, a lot of drug allergies, if they take Antihistamines on a regular basis that no doctor told them to, but they feel better taking them. (laughs) That can usually be a little red flag that we might be dealing with some mast cell activation syndrome.
0: You mentioned it briefly, but I think I want to highlight the fact that mast cell activation can cause a lot of neuropsychiatric symptoms. And I think it's been interesting looking at some of the new research coming up, particularly around depression. I think the evidence is suggesting now that serotonin really has very little to do with depression. And the idea that we've got drugs like these SSRIs that are designed to raise serotonin levels, it seems that mast cells are a bigger contributing factor to depression. And aside from that depression, anxiety, insomnia, all these things, people that have these neuropsychiatric symptoms, they go to their doctor and of course they get a drug to try and help with the symptom, but it's not really addressing the root cause. And I know I see this a lot in the kids I work with autism. Doc, our friend Dr. Theoretis, mm-hmm. uh, who's an MD, PhD allergist, uh, who's published extensively on kids with autism, showed that they have mast cell activation in the brain. So the cognitive problems, the behavior problems, a lot of these symptoms are really triggered by mast cells. So the more that we can get control, that inflammation in the brain quiets down, and then we can get the brain to start functioning the way that it should. For anyone tuning in who's been struggling with chronic, particularly neuropsychiatric symptoms, that might be worth talking with your doctor and investigating, is this part of what's going on?
1: Yes, it's a huge issue. And I I think at least in the functional realm, even if somebody isn't necessarily mast cell savvy, right, they're not, they may not be a specialist in that, they at least are starting to understand that there's inflammation in the brain. And so you could start with anyone that you have as a practitioner, if they're not seeing brilliant Dr. search or someone similar. Absolutely, quelling that inflammation is going to be key. So there's a lot of, the, the good news is there's a lot of other things besides SSRIs that are most likely going to be helpful in a situation where you have neuropsychiatric issues.
0: If someone thinks they might have mast cell activation, what are some of the tests that are available? I think it's primarily a clinical diagnosis really based on your signs and symptoms, but I know that there are some tests that can be useful. What are some of the tests that are commercially available that people could do if they're trying to help identify mast cell activation?
1: Yes, most of the testing is complicated and requires a very knowledgeable lab and special facilities where you have a refrigerated centrifuge. So if you're lucky enough to have a practitioner who's figured out a lab that works, like we have a lab, our local hospital can run the testing and do it accurately enough. And I can run through some of those. It's histamine, but more importantly, some of the metabolites of histamine. So N-methyl histamine, there's another metabolite, two, three, dinor, blah, blah, blah. There's some leukotriene E4, prostaglandin D2, those are some of the really important inflammatory markers that are that are present when in some people, not in everybody. So the challenge is there are thousands, at least t- hundreds of mediators if not thousands of mediators and we can test for maybe a 10, 12 at max. So it makes it really <laughs> like looking for a needle in a haystack. But of the tests that we have available, even through commercial labs, I will often screen using things like chromogranin A, tryptase, and histamine. Now histamine is also produced by other cells like basophils. It's not a perfect test, but it can be It can be covered by insurance and it can be ordered through a regular commercial lab. And so that's often where I will start with people. And the clinical criteria are, as we've been talking about, and when you add to that two labs that are elevated, so if you have histamine drawn twice and it's elevated and you have all the clinical symptoms, you you meet the definition. So oftentimes in some of my patients who can't afford or don't have access to that lab to do all these 24-hour urines and blood and additional urine testing, we just do a couple of histamine levels and bam. The other really accessible option for people who have had endoscopies or colonoscopies, so anybody over the age of 45 should be should have gotten a colonoscopy. You can use the biopsies from those procedures and stain those with special stains for mast cells called CD117 stains. But the provider has to write for that. So the gastroenterologist has to write for it, the pathologist has to do it. And what you're looking for is a certain number of mast cells, what they call per high powered field. So when you're looking under a microscope and a high powered field, there are supposed to be more than 20. And if there are more than 20 in several locations in an endoscopy or colonoscopy, that would be highly suggestive of mass activation.
0: Along those lines, there's a lot of discussion out there on the internet and in our community about histamine intolerance. And I just wanted to find the difference between mast cell activation and histamine intolerance, because I think they get thrown around interchangeably by different functional medicine practitioners, they are different things. Can you just help people differentiate one from the other?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, mast cell activation is about the release of all of these different inflammatory mediators, not just histamine. Histamine is the most famous, but is not necessarily the most important in a mast cell patient. Whereas with histamine intolerance, the predominant problem is that the people have a genetic predisposition to not being able to break down histamine very well. There's an enzyme in the gastrointestinal tract called DAO and di- diamine oxidase or something like that. Yep. DAO. And if it's underproduced and underfunctioning, people will not be able to metabolize histamine very well in the gastrointestinal tract which then will cause additional symptoms that are more gastrointestinally related. So oftentimes people will have more GI upset, heartburn, bloating, gas, et cetera. They might have some more food allergies or food sensitivities. You can get skin uh, involvement because the GI tract is contiguous with the skin. However, there... The presentation is a little bit more limited, and oftentimes the symptoms will improve tremendously when the diet is changed, when the people are eating a low histamine diet. They'll see clinical improvements when they add DAO enzymes to their supplement regimen. There'll be vast improvement. And somebody can have histamine intolerance and mast cell activation syndrome, but you could also have one or the other, but not both. For example, I've had some mast cell symptoms myself. I don't really have histamine intolerance. I can eat leftovers. I can have avocado. (laughs) I don't have a DAO problem. So that fortunately is not something that I have to deal with.
0: So for people who are dealing with this, what might be a good treatment approach? I know we've got a lot of different options and everyone's a little bit different, but what are some of the things you're using in your practice to help people overcome their mast cell activation?
1: Let me back up a little bit. I think the first things that we have to think about is paying attention to the immune system, which is your mast cells, and then recognizing that there's a nervous system component to it too. And I liken it to uh, three, eight, legged stool so you've got your immune system and your mast cells over here you have your vagus nerve and then over the third stool would be your limbic system or the the uh, brain the central nervous system part that's engaged in taking emotions and experiences and turning them into memory and it's really important to address all three if we're just taking supplements or medications to calm down the mast cells we'll only get so far in the healing journey it's really important to engage the nervous system as well because oftentimes by the time you're actually getting to the point where you have symptoms and you have you've had symptoms for a while and you're getting a diagnosis and you're getting help your nervous system is also revved up hypersensitive and turned on you may find that you're in fight or flight all the time right so we have to address the nervous system too and then additionally, I'm always trying to make sure that we're addressing the root cause or looking for the root cause. So, yes, we're calming down the mast cells, dealing with the nervous system, and then looking for the root cause. Is it Lyme? Is it mold? Is it wolf? Is it Bartonella? Is it an environmental toxicant exposure on top of mold and Lyme? Um, so, making sure that we're dealing with all the root causes. But going back to just, Treating mast cell, um, I will often start with just plain old antihistamines, especially if there seems to be an allergic or histamine intolerance component to the presentation. There are four second generation over the counter antihistamines uh, Zyrtec, Claritin, Zyzol, and Allegra. And usually we'll pick one or two of those to try. Sometimes we'll add in more of the sedating antihistamines, the older ones like Benadryl or hydroxyzine, which is a prescription. And then in some people, I'll add in the H2 blockers. And oftentimes with people, that H1, H2 can really make a huge difference. Sometimes it doesn't help at all. And so we move on to other things.
0: I think immunotherapy are one of the therapies out there that can really help change the way that your immune system's responding to any number of different triggers. And if you think about allergy as a whole, it's an overreaction of your immune system. Your immune system's reacting to something that it probably shouldn't be reacting to. And I, I get asked all the time, and I'm sure you do, it's why am I allergic to cats? Why am I allergic to ragweed? Why does lime set me off? And other people can have the same exposure and they don't have any symptoms. I guess if any of you guys can figure it out, please let me know. We'll win the Nobel Prize in medicine because I haven't figured it out. And as far as I can tell, all the researchers haven't figured it out. But, but immunotherapy can be, a, again, a game changer for people and actually rebuilding immune tolerance to these things so that you eventually stop reacting to it.
1: Yes. I love immunotherapy. <laughs> so helpful. And this is really your belly wick. So if you want to explain it, you can, or I'm happy to give you my... Yeah, I'll
0: give you the skinny. So immunotherapy is immune therapy, and there's different types of it. If you go to an allergist, typically what they do is called subcutaneous immunotherapy. These are allergy shots. They do either skin prick testing or they'll do blood testing. They'll say, okay, you're allergic to cat and ragweed and dust. And then every week you go in and they give you a shot. It contains ragweed and dust and whatever else you're allergic to. And typically, you're getting weekly injections for anywhere from three to six months. And then once you get to a certain threshold, then they start backing off and you get it every three weeks at once a month. And then you stay on that maintenance dose, usually for several years. And again, the concept is the same. is It's just a way by giving you the thing that you're allergic to at the right concentration, it's building your immune tolerance. So as when you start with allergy shots, every week, as long as you tolerate it, they keep giving you just a tiny bit more every time until you get to that maintenance dose, and then you pretty much stay on that for the duration of your treatment. Allergy shots are great in a lot of ways, is that insurance pays for it. Often they do help. Potential downside is that there's a very small percentage of people that will get an anaphylactic reaction to their allergy shot, and it's almost always related for people who are getting allergy shots for pollen, more than dust and dog and cat and other allergens. It's been used for 100 years. It's very well established. And again, people do get a lot of benefit from it. The downside to it is that a conventional allergist is only looking at IgE reactions. So when they do skin prick testing or blood testing, you're looking at an IgE reaction to the allergen. We know that your immune system is complex and there's a lot of other immune mechanisms involved with allergy that aren't just IgE. And it's interesting, when you read European journals about allergy, they have a much broader understanding of allergy than American allergists. Keep that in mind. So you could be IgG, it could be T-cell mediated, which are delayed reactions. So if you guys are old enough to have the old TB test where they poked you in the arm and said, come back two days later, and they're looking to see if it gets red or swollen, that's a T-cell reaction, it's delayed. So allergists here don't really account for these other immune mechanisms that might be involved that cause allergy symptoms. And so if they only test for IgE, they're only going to treat IgE and anything else doesn't get treated. So I, I think there's a potential for under treatment when you're just doing that route. Beyond that, there's what's called sublingual immunotherapy. Sublingual means under the tongue. The concept is pretty much the same as allergy shots. You do any number of different ways of testing to find out what you're allergic or sensitive to. And then like in our office, we make up the drops based on that testing. And it's very specific to you. So we're only putting in the bottle what we know you're sensitive or allergic to. And you do this every day as you put the drops under your tongue. The way all immunotherapy works are through what are called dendritic cells. And they're part of your immune system that help confer kind of immunity to the rest of your immune system. In your mouth and in your skin are very rich in dendritic cells. So the concept is exactly the same. And clinically, I find it works incredibly well. Interestingly, sublingual immunotherapy is used very widely throughout Europe because most of Europe is on socialized medicine, where they're all about saving money. And we know from the research that sublingual immunotherapy is about a quarter of the cost of allergy shots. But in the United States, allergists get reimbursed for doing allergy shots. They don't get reimbursed for doing sublingual. So there's really no financial impetus to get allergists to to switch. And then there's what's called LDA or low-dose allergy therapy. This was developed by an ENT surgeon in the UK back in the 1960s, where he took these allergy extracts and he diluted them far beyond what allergists were using even now. Allergists now use 1 to 100, 1 to 1,000 dilution. His is like one to 10 million and higher. And so they're very highly diluted. And then he mixes it with an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And you do a little intradermal injections between the layers of the skin. So it's a little different than conventional allergy shots. And the mixes that are made are more extensive. So there's a food mix that has 70 different foods. There's an inhalant mix that has molds and pollens and dust and cat and dog and feather and horse and different things you might breathe in that you can be sensitive to. And then there's also a chemical mix for people who are chemically sensitive. And with LDA, you only get a dose every seven weeks, unlike allergy shots that are weekly or sublingual that's daily. LDA is really great for really sensitive people that may have tried allergy shots and just didn't tolerate it, or maybe even tried sublingual immunotherapy and didn't tolerate it. It's great for kids because it's easy. And although it's taught to be done as an intradermal, we actually do it under the tongue. Again, clinically, we find it works as well. And the shot actually really hurts when you have it done. It feels like you're getting stung by 100 bees. It only lasts for about 20 seconds, but it it can be very uncomfortable. It's only
1: two. One, two. That's it. That's three bees, but I hear you. Yeah.
0: It, it, It can be uncomfortable, but that's the way it's been taught for decades now. And we figured out a while ago that under the tongue for a lot of people works well. So depending on the person, if it's an adult, we'll probably still do the interdermal injection. If it's a child, we'll probably do sublingual because it's more comfortable. But again, the idea behind it is the same. But ultimately, the goal of all of this is how do we, again, build immune tolerance so that over time you don't become hypersensitive to these things anymore. Now, all immunotherapy takes time. It's not like you do one treatment and you're done. So you're generally in it for years. Depending on the age that you start, I find with children, it goes faster than with adults. Starting at six or eight years old is different than starting at 58. But nonetheless, we can get to a point where people don't have to rely on all the antihistamines, leukotriene inhibitors, mast cell inhibitors. We still use them in the conjunction because it's going to take a while for the immunotherapy to control symptoms. So it's great to have these things that make your symptoms better. But if we really want to induce a permanent change in your immune system, you know, therapy is a the way to do it.
1: And LDA has been fantastic in my mast cell patients. We do they do really well with it. It I talk about it like dialing down the immune response. And I think it it can be, again, a game changer for some people who may not even know how reactive they are to things. I had one woman profoundly depressed, very fatigued, mast cell. EDS Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and probably on the spectrum a little bit and she's like a new person really her energy is better Her, she's brighter she's doing more things it's been very profound to watch that change you just never know what's going to be the thing that just turns the ship around
0: so Dr. McCann again I appreciate you spending time with us today
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Dr. Ingalls. Okay. Thank you. Bye, everyone.